Good morning, 11 a.m. How y'all doing today? Come on, y'all look good, sound good, feel good. Let's play good. Deion Sanders used to say that. That was like one of my favorite players, so I just kind of got caught up for a second. Hey, listen, we're excited about today as we continue in this series called The Future Church, and we are in week five. Somebody say week five. It's been a great and awesome time. And what I want to encourage you to do, if you have not been able to hear these messages over the last several weeks, I want to encourage you to go to our podcast at victorymidtown.com or on your app on your phone. You can go to Victory Midtown because you want to be able to follow along with what's happening. These messages, they stand alone, but they also build on each other. So the last several weeks, we've been talking about things regarding what the future church looks like and how we need to operate if we're going to be effective and relevant in the future church. And so the first week we talked about the Bible and the authority of the Word of God. Pastor Dennis gave us an incredible word on making sure that we stay strong and understanding how much the Bible has to play a role in our lives. In the second week, we talked about the next generation church, the next generation church, talking about the older and the younger generations coming together to make sure that we are able to affect things of change for the kingdom. The third week, we talked about a culture of valuing others, making sure that we look at people not by how they look, but who God said they are. And then on last week, we talked about community, the communal church. And we really talked about small groups and making sure that you're not doing life alone and that you're coming together to operate in unity. One of the key things that I said last week, and I hope some of you took me up on it, I absolutely did. Last week I said, listen, it's better to do, it's better to have Jenny's ice cream with friends than to eat wheatgrass shots by yourself. And I don't know about you, but after the service was over, Kendra and I, we went to Jenny's. I bought about two or three pints. You know, I had some butter gooey cake and all this type of stuff. I was really enjoying it. But the whole message was you can try to be alone and you can try to do all the right things. But if you're by yourself, you're still not living the fullness of your life. So today we're going to jump into something that is very, very near and dear to the heart of our church here at Victory. And we're going to be talking about the Kingdom Culture Church. The Kingdom Culture Church. Now, this particular subject, this is something, again, that's very, very near to our hearts, and it's actually reflected in our vision statement and our pillars. And specifically, as we talk about the Kingdom Culture Church, we're going to be talking about today racial reconciliation. Racial reconciliation. Now, you take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. Everybody's looking around like, okay, we're going to deal with this today. Listen, I want to say a couple things before we jump into the Word because I believe if we can grab what we're going to talk about today, we literally can change the landscape, not just of the church, but of the nation and of the world. Does anybody in here believe that? I believe it. So as we're looking at this, yes, it is the first weekend in February, and it is Black History Month, but that's not the reason why we're talking about this today. We talk about this all throughout the year, over and over again, because again, we're committed to this as one of our pillars, as you see over to my left, to your right, as reconciling cultures. Now, one of the things that I want to say is that the reason why this is important for us to deal with is because many times we spend a lot of time focusing on our differences more than we focus on our commonality. And when I think about this, if you remember, last week around this time, we soon started to get the news about Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and seven other people that were on the helicopter that passed away in that tragic accident. Not only did you have that, yesterday there was a fuel spill on I-85, and there were people that died in that. Why am I bringing these things up? I'm bringing it up because we have to make sure that we consider the brevity of life. We have to start considering how we use our dash. That dash in between when you were born and when the Lord says it's your time to come home. 
The reason I'm bringing this up is because a lot of times in this life, we waste time fighting over our differences. And last week after these events happened, I saw this meme on social media and I said, I wanted to share it today because I believe it really affects us today. It says, I wish living brought us all together like death does. I wish living brought us all together like death does. I'm very confident that when that helicopter was going down, nobody on that flight was thinking about what color they were. I believe that when that flight was going down, even on 85 yesterday, people had to run around and leave their cars and do things like that. People were helping each other get out the way. People weren't looking at them saying, oh, you're black, so I'm not going to help you. You're white, I'm not going to help you. They were like, let's go. So what we have to do is we have to make sure that we're taking this in with a sober mentality of what God wants to do through unity. And as we're looking at this, my hope today as we walk through this is not that I'm going to answer every question. What my hope is, is that I start some conversations. I want to start some conversations that as you hear the word today, you take what you hear today, you wrestle with it because you will have to wrestle with it, I guarantee. You wrestle with it and then you take it out of these four walls and you start to ask the question that I asked a couple of weeks ago that I said we need to start filtering things through. And if you didn't write this down, write it down right now. I said we have to start asking the question when we're faced with things, what does the Bible say about that? What does the kingdom of God say about that? Not what I feel, not what I've been through, not what's emotional. What does the word say about that? And if we can do that, what we'll do is we'll start to get a kingdom mentality and we will be able to walk out the kingdom culture. Now, Pastor Dennis and I, we sat down this week and we talked about this upcoming message um, because as we ministered this, this is not a new message to victory. This is something that has been preached for years upon years upon years. What is new about it is a black man preaching this message. All right, I'm going to be real, real about it. Because usually, Pastor Dennis, the founder, him and his wife, Pastor Colleen, they have ministered this message and they have carried this banner. But what if we take on the banner? What happens if we don't let them just be the ones who speak it, but we take it into the next, into the next generation? The reason why he really wanted to make sure that even I ministered this here at Midtown and Pastor Randy ministered at Hamilton Mill and Pastor Johnson at Norcross is because if we don't get it right here, it'll just be something that we say with our mouths but we don't operate in our hearts. So as we're walking through this, I want you just to kind of let your shoulders down. As a matter of fact, I want to do something we do often in our evening classes. Can we take three deep breaths together to really blow out any anxiety and any stress that we might have even by me introducing this subject? Let's do this on three. Number one, one, two, three. Second deep breath. The third deep breath. I'm doing that intentional because this is a serious subject. That as we talk through this, I want to make sure that we grab this. I'm not going to talk to your emotions today. I'm not going to talk to your political bend today. I'm not going to talk to, you know, your sensory uh, feelings and make sure that I'm actually having this side of the room happy and this side of the room happy. I want to speak to what God has for us to say today. Is that all right? So as we're looking at this, this is something that we have to talk about. Because the reality is that even 60 years later, after Dr. Martin Luther King made this statement that I want to read, we still are operating in the same way a lot of times as it was back then. In 1963, Dr. King, he said this, it is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Now, 
Look around the room real quick. Look around the room. Y'all know I'm a participative preacher, so y'all got to work with me. This room is representative of a lot of different cultures, a lot of different races, but I want you to know something. This is the anomaly. This is not the norm. This is not what you see everywhere, and we cannot take it for granted. Because still, 80 to 85% of churches in America are still one-race-only churches. And 2020 are still one-race churches. So as we're walking through this, what I want you to know as we move through this message is that for all races in here, you're in a safe place. You're in a safe place. You're in a safe place where we're going to give a balanced understanding of what it is. We're going to tell the truth, but we're going to give balance. Because here's the thing. We have to speak the truth because if you never deal with the truth, you'll develop fake people. If we never deal with the truth, what we'll do is we'll nurture and develop fake people. And so I want to pray real quick as we get into this because, again, Holy Spirit is going to have to do the work as we walk through this because all of us are going to feel some type of way at some part of this message. So if you'll do me a favor, bow your heads. We're going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this great and awesome day. God, we thank you that as we are congregated here today, we're not just here to go through the motions, but we're here to grow. God, the purpose and the intent of this message is for us to get to a place where we can acknowledge what the past has been, make some changes in our present in order to create a new future that will glorify you. Speak through me and allow all of us to grow and to grapple with what you're saying to us today so that we are better when we leave this place. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, let me make this very clear. As I get into this message, what I understand is that a lot of my brothers and sisters by skin, the African-Americans, the, the black people in the room, you might be like, okay, we're going to preach this message. All right. Is he really going to go there today? Is he really going to go there? All right, some of you are thinking, okay, well, maybe he's going to finally tell them about themselves. Some others may be saying, okay, maybe he'll talk about all the things that they've done for, you know, to wrong us over the years, and maybe we'll talk about reparations today. That's not going to happen today. While on the other side of the spectrum, we have some of my lighter-hued brothers and sisters in the room, white, Caucasians, other races. You may be saying, is he really going to go there today? This might be that thing that I've been dreading coming to a multicultural church. This is that message. Some of you might be like, okay, haven't we dealt with this enough? Aren't black people, they, they've gotten rights, they've you know, been able to come up in society. Can we just move on? And some of us are like, man, I want to hear this because I really want to grow past this. No matter where you find yourself on the spectrum, I want to let you know that we all have things to battle with. We all have things that we're going to grow through through this message. And I borrowed a statement from a friend of mine. I called a friend of mine, a really close friend of mine. He happens to be white. And I asked him a question. I said, listen, what happens when we start speaking about these type of things in a mixed environment? He said, you really want to know? I said, yeah, I really want to know. He said a lot of times people start to think, okay, this is going to be an attack. He said a lot of times white people start to get anxiety and start to say, okay, they're going to come after me and deal with this. So he gave me this statement to say, so if you don't like this statement, blame it on my friend. My friend said this. He said, tell them, the entire congregation, but especially the white and lighter hue congregants of Victory Midtown, tell them this is not about you, but it is for us. He wasn't talking about a segregation. He wasn't talking about a separation. He was talking about, it's not about you attacking you, but it's about all of us coming to a greater understanding of what God has for us. 
And what we understand is that generally when we start to talk about this, everyone wants you to keep it real as long as it's towards their slant of truth. Everyone wants you to speak the truth as long as you're knocking on their door saying, okay, talk about what I want you to talk about. So today we have to ask the question, how do we move forward from here as we move forward into this new future church if we're going to really represent the kingdom of God? So I said today, I'm not going to do this by myself. I called in some reinforcements today. We actually right here in the house have a resident expert on racial reconciliation and is going to share with us some things that allow us to have an understanding of the context of where we're going to be building from. This person, you know her well. I know her better. She got her PhD from The Ohio State University. Yeah, I see some Ohio people in the house. Her bio reads, I want to get, make sure I get it right, can't get in trouble when I get home. It says, Dr. Kendra A. Moment is a full professor of politics. She's the chair of the Division of Politics, History, and International Studies, and the author of the dynamic book, African American Politics, which is a cutting edge, wonderful book that talks about the political successes and setbacks of African Americans from, 19, from 1619 all the way through the election of Barack Obama. If you'll do me a favor and welcome my wife, Dr. Kendra Moment, up to the platform. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, thank you for taking this opportunity for us to have this conversation. Uh, while we were talking about this and preparing for this message, one of the things we said, it was like a lot of times when you deal with this, it kind of gets a little tense. And what we said is we wanted to invite you into an environment of how we talk about this at home. So we want you to act like you're in our living room. This is a big living room. But we want you to act like this is our living room. And we want you to do what? Lean in. So as we talk through this, Kendra, I just want to kind of set the stage and ask you, why is it so tough to deal with this situation? Absolutely. I think it's been tough to deal with reconciliation because we as a nation haven't talked about it and dealt with it. And the church, more importantly, hasn't always effectively talked about it and dealt with it. So let me just give you a little bit of history. When the first African indentured servants came to America in 1619, they were not slaves. They were not slaves. So what happened, however, is that as the industry of slavery became profitable economically, you had men predominantly who had wealth and education who circumvented the freedom of these indentured servants and created a system of oppression based on race and based on economics. What's the problem? What's the challenge even today? Well, we have these democratic ideals like liberty, freedom, equality. We have the Declaration of Independence that say, says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and we put the God consciousness in there and say they are endowed by the creator with certain inalienable rights. However, men historically and even present day, we can add to that women, people in power, what have you, have con continued to say, but not this particular race of people, which in America has historically and current day predominantly been of the African American hue. Wow. Did y'all get all of that? All right. So as we're talking about this, you know, how do we start to set a framework 
for what has been done, but not stay there so that we can actually move forward. I really believe that it's important for us to have context like this because sometimes we think we judge things based on what we feel are happening right now, but a lot of times it's really ingrained from things that have happened for years. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Sure, I think it's two things. Number one, we have to acknowledge that it happened in America, in society, and that it's happening currently. So one of the things that we have to talk about, because it's the truth of what is right now, doesn't mean it will always be this way, is that a white male with the same degree as a black male, or a white male with the same degree, same credentials as a Hispanic male, or even Asian male in some instances, will earn more on the dollar than that black male. It was one of the things that Dr. King talked about when he went to Memphis in 1967, when he began the Poor People's Campaign. Why? In 1967, for every $1 a white man earned, a black male only earned 50 cents. So the playing field is never leveled. So we have to acknowledge that. And in doing that, if I am of a privileged class or race, I have to be responsible with my privilege, not dismiss it. At the same time, if I find myself of an oppressed race or a group of people that historically have been biased in terms of the laws, I have to recognize and declare as it is in heaven, so it is in the earth. What am I getting at? One of the biggest things that I've had to navigate, being a political scientist, being one of only now three African Americans on my entire campus, I've had to pray in the spirit for things and cover myself in the blood of Jesus for things, that if my mouth demanded those things, I would make things worse than what they are. What am I getting at? The reality of the situation is this, people. In 1865, black men were given the right to vote. Facts. But it took 100 years before our same nation incorporated that right, which means they actualized it, and black men and women and others were being given the right to vote. So imagine it this way. I've got one of my favorite things. I've got my bubble yum. <laughs> I love gum. So imagine I say, babe, would you like a piece of gum? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> can, I, can I get the gum? I'm going to need you to wait a little while. Okay. How, how badly do you want this gum? I mean, I really want it. I'm, my mouth's kind of dry right now. I cannot... Well, I'm still going to make you wait for this gum. So, so I'm using gum because it's something we can all relate to. But when you think about rights, in 1865, imagine, because it was the facts, the government said, black men, you have the right to vote. But would you wait patiently and in peace and in a kingdom mindset if it took 100 years for you to get that piece of gum, a.k.a. the right to vote? Mm. What am I getting at for all my lighter-hued people in the room? If there is some saltiness in the African-American community, it's not unwarranted, but because we don't live by our race first, we are kingdom citizens first, to all my black people in the room, all my Hispanic people in the room, all my Asian people in the room, all my biracial and multiracial people in the room. We said we are kingdom citizens first. So what that means as a kingdom citizen, we give up our right to be right, even when we are right. It's tight, but it's right. It's tight, but it's right. So the reason I really want to kind of dig into that one more, one more second is because the reality is when you start to have conversations like this, people start to look at you like, I don't know, bro. Like, you don't know what I've been through. 
You don't know what's going on. You know, yes, this is historic, but these are the things. You, you know, you're talking to someone of another race, and they, you're telling them, you don't know how it's different for me to walk into an environment than it's different for you. So how do we actually start to kind of make sure that we take a responsibility? Yes, there are things that we have to acknowledge that happen. But how do we take the responsibility of what we are teaching here at Victory, what we're teaching here to raise a higher kingdom culture, and to say, yes, I've been through that. Yes, that happened to me, but I'm not going to lead with that. I'm not going to be identified with that. I'm going to represent the kingdom of God. That's a hard thing, but how do we do that? Listen, it's very hard. We've been pulled over. We were racially profiled. We were held for an hour. It wasn't until I said, Google me, I've been on CNN talking about police brutality that the officers got some common sense. Y'all don't but, use that line talking to me, the police will <laughs> Google me, don't, don't, don't do that, don't do that. <laughs> I was praying in the spirit myself when she said it. But here was the thing, we were five minutes from my university. Yeah. We were profiled. It was hurtful. It was embarrassing to have to watch my husband be humiliated in that moment. And we could have gone further with this if we wanted to. At the same time, we had to thank God that he could trust us yeah. with that particular burden in that moment. So what am I getting at at the end of the day? There are things that happen. And how I said it at the 9 a.m. is this. Microaggressions are real. Ignorance is real, racism is real, sexism is real, but the blood of Jesus Christ is realer. Yeah. Yeah. We live in a city now where people want people to choose, are you this Absolutely. or are you that? Listen, we don't have time, even in the church, to be divided because the kingdom mandate is to be united. And so if I can, I'll share what really has been ministering to me, Absolutely. which is Micah 6, 8. And I want to read it to you from the message ver version of the Bible. What it says is this, but he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. We are all neighbors in here. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. What am I saying to all of us? We have to give up our rights for the rights of the kingdom. And we have to learn to be slow to speak quick to listen and be the repairs of the breach. I was sharing earlier that someone had said to Mo and I, you need to diversify your staff. And it, and it took us a little bit of back because our staff it happens to be two African-Americans and we have four, four Caucasians on our staff. And the person who said it also happened to be white. And it was really interesting because in the natural flesh, your reaction could be, well, this is a white person telling two black people to diversify their staff. Whereas if it were two white leaders with an all-black staff, no one may not have had an issue with it. What am I getting at that that person missed in that moment? Every person on our staff who just so happens to be white is also very diverse. No one person is the same as the other. And a lot of times what we're doing, and we have to be careful, is we're putting everyone in the same box. You're black, you're white, and we're missing the uniqueness and the way that God has made us all in the Imago Dei that transcends what we see externally.
So how do we get over this? We start right here by building community, by being intentional. That when you see someone that looks of a different race, you don't just nod past them, you lean into them. And this is what that means, people. For all of my people that of our lighter hue in this room, be intentional, intentional about making sure that you feel home. And to all of my African Americans and Hispanics and other races in the room, invite someone to church that doesn't look like you. Yeah. We've got to reach across the aisle and really lean into each other, believe in each other. But really, I believe Victory Midtown, what God is calling us to do in this season is to love each other beyond the offenses and the realness of the past so that we can heal this nation because of this one thing. By 2030 in Atlanta, the white race is decreasing. The black race is decreasing but the biracial and multiracial population is increasing, why? Because people in this room who've been courageous enough to love across the aisle and reach someone else, and we wanna make sure that our church is a safe place for our future generations. Amen. Can y'all give God praise for my wife, Dr. Mo? Thank you, babe. So again, where do we go from here? The reason why all of those things that we just talked about are very important is because the dynamics, not just of Atlanta as she spoke, but America, it is actually changing. I want them to put this slide up because just like she mentioned, right here, even in 2030, 10 years from now, this is totally shifting. So in 2030, you will now have an, a weighing of the other side of other people of different races that will be overpowering in number white people. Listen, the reason why this is very key is because we have to look at this because the numbers changing will not change the issues. What's going to change the issues is how we actually deal with this. What's going to change the issues is how we actually look to God for the answers to make sure that we're representing the kingdom and not looking at what the world does. So I want to give us something and let you know, write this down, very simple, racial unity is God's idea. Racial unity is God's idea. Now, I know this might get a little tight today. I know still, even after all that explanation, some of y'all are like, still, all right, I'm going to go with you right now. But I need you to go ahead and really lean in and make sure you receive this. As we look at this, I want to read a scripture that gives us a foundation for this thing called unity. Psalms chapter 133, verses 1 through 3, it says this, somewhat of a familiar passage of scripture. It says, behold. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion for there. Can you say there? For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now, that there that he's talking about is the place of unity. That there is the place where there is no schism, where everyone is able to come together and understand that we are better together. This is not just a slogan that you use during political season. We are better together. And I want to say this. When I see certain things posted on social, when I see certain things in the world, I absolutely believe in hashtag black excellence. Absolutely believe in it. But I also believe in hashtag white excellence. 
I also believe in hashtag what some would call brown excellence or yellow excellence. As a matter of fact, what I believe fully in, if we're going to talk about colors, is red excellence. Because red is the color of the blood of Jesus that literally brings us all together so that we can operate in the banner of unity and in Christ. So if we're looking at this and we want to actually assign a hashtag to us, let's not go black, white, yellow, brown. Let's use this hashtag, kingdom excellence. Kingdom excellence. Kingdom excellence. When you start posting stuff and you know it's going to be divisive, go ahead and say, I'm going to come higher and say, I want to go with kingdom excellence. Now, I believe in having pride for my culture. Don't get it twisted. But not at the expense of excluding a whole bunch of other cultures. Because the reality is... If we're, like I said earlier, if we're on a plane, if we're on a helicopter and it's going down, I'm not looking at you saying, okay, because I'm black, are you going to help me? I'm just saying, help! And we all need to know that we have to be able to come outside of the confines of the earthly culture and grow to a higher level of living. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 17, verse 26. Because as we're talking about the red, the blood of Jesus, the Bible says this, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings. That particular scripture just lets us know that we all come from a common place, that the whole bit of humanity was built from one man in Adam. And so if we can actually come back to that unified front and then take it spiritual and say, when we come into the body of Christ, everything that's in the past is covered through the blood of Jesus. If you've been around here for a long time, you've heard me say this before, where when God sees us, if you've given your life to Jesus, he doesn't see you black, white, Hispanic, Asian. What he does, it's like God puts on red sunglasses, and he only sees you through the filter of the blood of Jesus. So if God can see us through the filter of the blood of Jesus, we need to start employing that same principle and saying, I know there may have been some things that have gone wrong in the past, but if Jesus, if God forgave me, if God, you know, forgave me of my sins, I can forgive someone of a sin that actually was committed right towards me. So as we're looking at this, I want us to listen and actually get this difference between the earthly culture and the kingdom culture because we have been culturally conditioned. We've been culturally conditioned in the earth to always look in division versus unity. What am I saying? In the earthly culture, there's always a temptation to do the us versus them. See, the whole conditioner has said, okay, I have to actually have something at the expense of you. There's a, there's a construction of me and we or them and they. And if you always stay in that, what you'll do is you'll only go in those one or two options. But what God is saying, I want to introduce you to a third option. The third option is honor. The third option is saying, I'm not going to live at your expense. I want all of us to come together. So here's the thing, when we talk about the third option, I want you to write that down, this third option, because this is the filter that we're going to have to employ if we really want to walk this thing out. The third option invites us to honor that which we have in common, and that is the presence of the image of God in everyone we meet. The third option also empowers us to see people through God's eyes. It enables us to treat them in a manner that honors his potential image in us, Versus what is different and that gives me an advantage over you. If you're honest in here, all of us as we're moving through things in life, there's always a temptation to say, okay, I have to make sure I raise myself up because you're not going to get what I have. 
And as we look at this, whether it's talking about racial reconciliation, whether it's talking about just being in harmony, we have to stop being this divisive people and come together in unity. Joshua chapter 5 gives us a picture of how God says we can walk this out and the mentality that we have to have. This scripture is where the angel of the Lord came on the screen, on the scene when a lot of things were happening and he was getting ready to go to battle. It says this, and then this, while Joshua was there near Jericho, he looked up and saw in front of him a man standing holding his drawn sword. Joshua stepped up to him and said, whose side are you on? In that moment, Joshua was thinking, okay, the angel of the Lord is for me. I know we have enemies. He's definitely going to be on my side. I have an advantage now. But something shifted right here. He said, whose side are you on, ours or our enemies? He said, the angel said, neither. I am commander of God's army. I've just arrived. And Joshua fell on his face. He changed his posture from saying, how are you going to help me? How are you going to go against them? To now saying, what orders does my master have for his servant? What is that scripture saying? In the beginning, Joshua was trying to say it's us versus them. But when the angel responded that it's not you or it's not them, I'm on the Lord's side, he was introducing a third option that said, I want you to know that I'm on God's side and you have to honor those who are against you. Yes, you might have enemies, but you have to honor them even when they look like an enemy. How many people in the room can say we actually employ that mindset every day? Not a whole lot of people. And that's a hard thing because in the earthly culture, we are always bent to respond based on how we feel. So again, Dr. Martin Luther King, he says something. He said, where do we go from here? How do we operate in this? Let me give you the first key thing that we have to do if we're going to make sure that we go from here in a mind that's reconciled with a kingdom culture. The first thing that we have to do is that we must desire what God desires. We must desire what God desires. Let me give you an open book test. What God desires is unity. What God desires is unity for us to come outside of our silos, come outside of just our racial profile and say, I'm going to be bigger than this because I'm going to reach across the lines by the blood of Jesus. John chapter 17, you've heard this scripture probably preached a lot of times when it comes to unity. But I want to read it and give you another angle to it. Verse 20 through 23, it says this. This is Jesus. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. Everyone who, want, who wants to believe, all of us, that's us coming together. It says that all of them may be one. Say one. Father, just as you in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete what? So that they may be brought to what? Complete unity. Then the world will know, this is key, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Real quick, we're going to jaywalk over to De Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The reason I want to just bring that scripture up is because both of those scriptures, when it talks about the word one, it's not just talking about singularity. When it talks about the word one, it is actually the Hebrew word akkad. Akkad, write that down, E-C-H-A-D, akkad. And this definition of one actually means oneness made up of numerous parts. Oneness made up of numerous parts. 
what this is saying is that this is giving you kingdom math. Because natural earthly math says one plus one equals what? Y'all a good class. But in the kingdom, in the akkad, in the oneness of God, it says one plus one plus one equals one. When we talk about God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one plus one plus one equals one. So what this is trying to get us to see is that oneness doesn't mean you see one side of it. Oneness means that I can look at your point of view and I can get something from it. It means that I can look at your point of view and I can get something from it. It means you may have grown up in a different town than me with a different background than me, but in oneness, I can get your point of view because we are still in unity. So as we're walking through this, we have to understand that the greatest testimony of who God is is not what we say, but what we model. Why is that important? Because if we don't model this, what the world sees when we come in here and have these type of messages and we put something on a banner and say racial reconciliation, but we leave here and we're still separate, what the world sees, it says, okay, God, through Jesus, you're strong enough to save them from their sins, but you're not strong enough to unite us. You're strong enough to forgive someone. You're strong enough to forgive a murderer, a liar, a cheater, someone who has done something that seems so wrong, but you're not strong enough to actually unite us because we still are going to have our silos. As we walk through this, when we're divided, we have to understand that it's not enough for us to just do this in these walls. We have to model racial reconciliation. And I don't want to take for granted that we know what that is or our definition of it, so let me give it to you real quick. When we talk about this from a kingdom culture, reconciliation says it is a change of the inward heart condition that adopts a kingdom mindset of doing life together. Let me say that one more time. It's a change of the inward heart condition that adopts a kingdom mindset of doing life together. So to answer the question, to make this very practical of how we walk this out, even when it's tough, even when there's tension, I want to give us some stuff of how do we actually live as one. So I got three things I want to share with us before we leave. Number one, the first thing that we have to do is we have to commit to staying in the game. Commit to staying in the game. What do I mean by that? At the very beginning, from this point on, even if you don't fully understand it, we have to decide up front that I'm committed to living a life of reconciliation. You have to decide up front because if you get in the game and try to figure it out and someone offends you, you're going to shift. The great prophet uh, Mike Tyson, he said it like this. Everyone has great plans. Everyone has a game plan when they step into the ring until they get hit in the face. How many of us have had a good idea? We've heard this type of message before. We've said, okay, I'm going to live at a higher standard. And then we get hit in the face by offense. We get hit in the face because somebody said something that they shouldn't have said. Someone was ill-informed or they did something they didn't even know offended us. We have to be those ones that actually say, I'm going to rise above it because here it is. When, not if, when you are offended with something that happens like this. If you don't commit ahead of time, what you'll do is immediately when you're offended, you will race back to your race. Did y'all catch that? If you're offended and you don't actually get past this, you will race. When you get hit, you're going to race and run back to my people that look like me, where I'm comfortable. I don't have to deal with this because I can just be with my family. And what God is actually telling us today is, listen, the Lord is one. I want you to be one. And the only way we're able to do that is if we do this. Go ahead. I need y'all to lean in on this one right here. Lean in. Lean in. Lean in. 
all the way in the back. Come on, y'all know I'm going to say it. Lean in with me. Lean in. This is what we have to do. We have to shift from racism to gracism. We have to shift from racism to gracism. What is gracism? Gracism when I start to look and I see a 10 on your forehead even before you talk. Gracism is I'm going to filter what you're doing, even if it's wrong, through the eyes of grace. Because I need to sow grace because what? I need grace. If you're someone in here that doesn't need grace, this message might not be for you. But for all of us that know that without Jesus, without the grace of God, every day, every word that comes out of my mouth, I need to sow grace because I need somebody to give me grace. So as we're walking through this, I want to read the scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. This is what it tells us. It says, with tender humility and quiet patience, always demonstrate gentleness and generous love towards one another especially towards those who may try your patience. Do you know anybody that tries your patience? They work your last nerve. I'm going to tell you, listen, sometimes we say, okay, well, I don't really fully understand them. I don't really get why they do this like that. Let me, do you fully understand yourself? I don't always understand myself. So that's why I sow grace because I recognize that I need grace. Does anybody in here by show of hands, do you need grace? Come on, we need grace. So as we're walking through this, we got to understand that humility is the key to staying in the game. A couple of practical things that I want to put down real quick. When I get offended, this means that I'm going to now come to you. I'm not going to just, you know, lock up and move away. I'm going to come to you when I get offended. When I don't understand something, I'm going to ask you. That's a noble idea. I'm going to ask you. When I'm upset about something, I'm going to learn and try very hard to forgive quickly and not harbor resentment, which will take me backwards. And that's what I mean when I say we have to sow grace, because if we don't do these things practically, what we'll find ourselves is going around a cycle of offense. And we don't want to live in a cycle of offense. That leads me to number two. Number two. Number two, what we have to do is we have to challenge our assumptions. Challenge our assumptions, meaning get rid of absolutes. Here's something. My wife knows that this is a pet peeve of mine. I hate when people say never and always. Because what happens is that we take one sample size of an experience with someone of certain culture, of certain demographic, or some background, and we say all of them are like that. Everybody's like that. Whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're Asian, whether you're Hispanic, we try to group everybody together when we have to know that the kingdom culture says, I have to be willing to change and challenge what I thought I knew. I have to be willing to change and shift what I thought I knew. And in that, write this down, we have to be able to challenge the social narrative. Challenge the social narrative. What does that mean? The social narrative is the story we believe about who we are, how we are to be, and how we want to be known. The social narrative also is the story about who we think everyone else is and how we think they're going to act towards us. Have you ever walked up to somebody before you even met them and had a conversation, you see them and you've run down their whole life story? You make assumptions based on what they look like, not the encounter that you actually have. And the reality is we miss blessings in people that don't look like us because we've looked at them and already had a predetermined mindset of who they are and how they're going to respond. I'm challenging us today to come outside of our box of us four and no more and to say, with unity, we are stronger together. 
Miles McPherson, he's the author of this book called The Third the third option, and I want you to kind of write that down. It's a lot of great nuggets in this book. But he said this even about the social narrative. He said, when we allow racism and cultural judgments in our hearts and society, we minimize the priceless value of God's image in others, which limits our ability to honor, love, and serve them the way God calls us to. Examples of this are when we do this. If we see people and we say, well, black people are thugs who want the government to take care of them. It's a generalization. It's a grouping. Or then we'll say white people are racist who don't care about the problems of others. We say things like, okay, Latinos, they're all illegal and they're bumming off of the society. I know these things, you're like, oh, nobody would ever say that. But people are saying this publicly and privately. We say things like Asians don't care about anybody but Asians. We say things like the rich don't care about the poor, or the poor is always looking to get over on the rich. The young people are slackers. Generalizations divide us more than they bring us together. And God is saying, every time you meet somebody, look at them with fresh eyes. Let the Holy Spirit start to filter how you feel about them, how you're going to respond to them. Because listen, some of the people who I've had the most distinct experience with are people that don't come from the same environment that I come from. But if I wasn't open to say, I want to learn from you, can you show me this? Can you tell me a little bit about your background? Why do y'all do that? Y'all know how we do. Why do y'all do that? Come on, can we be real in here? We have to be able to say, We have safe spaces. Some of my friends that are all of different cultures, we have conversations and they'll say, all right, Mo, I'm about to go there. In our staff, we have a thing that we call the umbrella of mercy. When we're in our staff meetings and we know somebody's about to say something that's kind of way out there, we say, all right, umbrella of mercy. And what we do is we allow people to say things that they may feel might get rejected. We need to walk around. Y'all do this with me. Do this with me. Come on, do this with me. Practice this, practice this. We need to employ the umbrella of mercy with our neighbor. We need to employ the umbrella of mercy with the people who don't look like us. And let me shift this, and the people who kind of look like us. Because racism is not just white versus black. What about colorism? What about the light-skinned person that's looking at the dark-skinned person like, "Uh, I don't know. What about the person that's saying, okay, well, you don't know what I've been through because you've been privileged because of your shade. It's tight, but it's right. But we have to deal with it. Here's the thing. One of the most damaging things that we can do in life is judge somebody based on what we think we know about them. What we think we know about them. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, it says it like this. This is something for us to carry with us. It says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Don't look at people based on the outward appearance. So that means for me, Whether you have a MAGA hat on or you got dreads and a kente cloth that you're rocking, I'm going to open myself up to you to say, what can I learn from you? How can we walk this life out together? What can I actually get as an experience that I wouldn't have gotten if I stayed isolated with my people based on my shade? Everyone in here, y'all are my people. Every single person from the back row to this side to the front, you're my people. Because under the banner of the blood of Jesus, we are under one blood. Come on, say one blood. Put your hands together if you believe that right now. So so here's the thing, a couple quick things. 
what we have to do, what I want to implore you to do, what I want to really ask for you to do is to start to choose not to silently judge people before you get to know them. I want you to start to give people the benefit of the doubt. I want you to start saying that I'm going to love you in spite of you. I want you to start saying that I want to actually listen to your story. Let me get into your life, even as Kendra said earlier. Let me approach some people to learn why you think the way you learn and some of the experiences that you've had. And then ultimately, I want to always make sure that I feel God's heart for you versus the thing that I might want to assume. And that takes me to the last point that I want to give us today that gives us practical understanding of how we walk this out. This is one of my favorites because it's something that we have to do. You have to be a thermostat and not a thermometer. Be a thermostat and not a thermometer. What does that mean? See, a thermostat influences the environment, but a thermometer only reflects what's going on in the environment. You're either going to be one that pushes us closer to reconciliation and love of Jesus, or you're going to be someone that pulls us away from it. And Dr. Martin Luther King, he said it like this when it came to this particular subject. He said, there was a time, let's hear this real clearly, because this is something for us as a church. This is not just a quote that I just want you to grab to add to your notes. I want us to really grab this because of the opportunity we have here at Victory Church and at Victory Midtown. Dr. King said this, there was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that just recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion, the world culture, the earthly culture. But it was, the church was, a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Do you want to be a thermostat or do you want to be a thermometer? All my thermostats in the house, can you put your hands up in the air and just say, yes, Lord? That's what I'm talking about. So as we walk through this, what it does, we can't just talk about this theoretically. We have to put action to it. So James chapter 1, it says like this, I'm giving you scripture because I want you to back this up. I want to make sure you carry this and just not think it's just a noble idea. James chapter 1 verse 22, it says, but prove yourselves doers of the word, actively and continually obeying God's precepts and not merely listeners who hear the word but fail to internalize its meaning, deluding yourselves by unsound reasoning contrary to the truth. For if anyone only listens to the word without obeying it, he is like a man who looks very carefully at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgets what he looks like. What does that mean in practical terms? You hear this message today here at Victory Midtown. You leave here, and if you don't internalize it and actually be committed to being a thermostat, when someone comes, when they will, because I'm going to tell you, I'm going to prophesy a little bit real quick. It might happen this afternoon where somebody is going to offend you. And you have to say, I'm not going to go backwards. I'm going to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only, because I'm going to be committed to making sure I walk this word out. So as we do this and we get ready to close today, being diligent to practice this influences environments. And this looks like very practically when I'm on social media, when I'm deciding what I'm getting ready to post, I have to really make a determination of if this is going to be divisive or is this going to bring unity. Even when people are dealing with things that are very rampant in society, when people are dealing with stuff that's really real to my culture, I'm not saying I ignore it, 
But if I'm going to actually speak on it, I need to speak with a reconciled mindset. I need to speak where I'm not trying to take one side or the other, but I'm saying, what does the Bible say about this? What does the kingdom say about this? And I'm here to let you know and acknowledge, I know that's not a popular stance. I know that there's societal pressure to say, okay, or, or you're not black enough. Anybody ever heard that one? Or you don't really know, you know, for your people, or, or you're not white enough. Why do you hang around those type of people? Who are those type of people? Children of God. We have to come together again to raise the standard. So that's why you see things even here represented at Victory Midtown, why we have multiple races on the platform, why we see different people of different ethnicities and backgrounds at the doors, why our staff is diverse and why we're shifting things. This actually goes back to even what we talked about last week with small groups. This is a, this is a polling question. If you're a leader in a small group or in a small group and everybody looks like you, you might be a thermometer, not a thermostat. Masela, let that sit right there for a second. And what we have to be committed to doing is when we look around, we have to say, okay, there's not enough diverse representation, so I'm going to be intentional about stepping outside of my norm and my comfort zone and taking the chance, listen to this, taking the chance that I might get rejected. Taking the chance that they might not get why I'm saying this. But when we take that chance, what we're doing is we're stepping over the lines and healing can then take place in that. So intentionality is what we have to do when it comes to other cultures. And here's the thing. I want you to write this down. This is very simple. We must be the standard of unity and reconciliation. We must be the standard of unity and reconciliation. Last scripture I want to give you, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 19, it says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood... Racism is an enemy. Division is an enemy. Judging people is an enemy. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. We have to be that standard. We have to be those ones who say, I'm going to take on this charge. And again, I might be ahead of my time. People might not get why I'm staying so strong on this, but I'm going to make sure that I'm doing something that will reverberate from generation to generation. So as we're closing out today, I want us to really remember that it's not about us or them. We have to raise ourselves to the third option, which is honor for us all in unity. And here's the thing, how we take this very practically. A couple things that we have to start doing if we really want to walk this thing out. We have to, number one, we have to own and address our biases. Own and address our biases. Be real with ourselves. We can't be real with ourselves. Nobody else can be real with us. Number two, we have to forgive our hurts. Even the things that may be traumatic. What she was talking about, one of those instances that she was talking about, was when we got pulled over, I was headed out of the country the next day. But I knew I couldn't say but so much if I wanted to make sure that I was able to stand here today. But at the same time, what I didn't do is now categorize and say all police are evil. All white people, all people who actually wear a badge are wrong. No. I said I have an opportunity to be a standard. I have an opportunity to grow to a higher level of love. And again, you guys heard me say this a couple weeks ago. It wasn't in my notes. It wasn't in my script. But I want to say it again today. And I want you to take this in. 
I am not, I'm gonna prepare you for this because some of y'all be like, all right, it's a turn. I am not a black man first. I'm a kingdom man first. Yes, I'm a black man. I have to take on all the things that come with being on a black man, all the benefits that come with being a black man. But I'm a kingdom man first. I wear that badge before I wear the badge of my color. Because as I said several weeks ago, before I was formed in my mother's womb, he knew me. He anointed me, he ordained me to be a prophet to the nation. And that's not limited to me. He ordained you to be a prophet to the nation. Back there in the back, he ordained you to be a prophet to the nation. You have a voice. You have experiences that God wants to get through you. But if we shut this down by operating in isolation, we will never find ourselves living in the kingdom culture. So we ask today, Holy Spirit, that you be our God. Holy Spirit, you be the one that starts to shape us. And how I wanna close today is I want us just all right now just to bow our heads. Because what I realize is that I'm ministering this message. This unity thing may be new to a lot of people. You may be saying, man, that's a noble idea. But the only way we're able to do this is by the power of Jesus Christ working through us. So if our hearts are not surrendered to Jesus, if we haven't asked him to be our Lord and Savior, we're going to have a hard time walking through this. So the first thing I want to do is I want to, while every head is bowed, if you're in here today and you said this message, it actually pricked me, it convicted me. But first, I can't get unity with my brother and sister until I receive Jesus in my life to give me forgiveness of my sins. If you want to give Jesus your heart today, just lift one of your hands up while every head is bowed. I see those hands. Yep, I see those hands all over the room. I see those hands. You can put your hands down. Victory Midtown, with our heads bowed, repeat this prayer after me so that we can usher these great souls into the kingdom. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being the great reconciler. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins so that I wouldn't be separated from God. And with that same spirit, I don't want to be separated from my brothers and sisters. Holy Spirit, I ask that you come into my heart and change me, even in the places that I'm not ready to change. God, I repent, meaning I turn away from my way and I turn towards your way, and I will live for you. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. For one more moment, go ahead and keep your head bowed because we're going to do something. I believe that there are some things that actually need to be broken down because some of us, we heard this word and it actually went inside of us, but we needed to actually catch root. Some of us, we were convicted. Some of us in the room, we're like, okay, that was, that's good for you, but I don't know if that's for me. And right now, only by the Spirit of God will we be able to walk through this. So I asked Todd for us to just kind of minister a piece of this song right here. And as he's ministering it, I want you to ask God, Holy Spirit, to come into your heart and do the work that you might not even be ready to do. I want you to pray the prayer and say, Lord, help me to be unified. Help me to be a reconciler. Help me to be a thermostat and not a thermometer. So as we're singing this song, open your spirit and open your heart as we worship.
them is something I ask them to sing because I understand what's happening in the spirit. So before we leave this place today, we're going to declare that something is changing in the spirit. We're going to declare that this wasn't just a sermon that we heard, but it's the life impact that we're going to walk out. So I want you to prophesy to the world right now. How are we going to prophesy? I want you to take the hand of your neighbor real quick. Because some of us are not used to being connected in moments like this. So as we're singing this, as we get ready to leave together, I want you to squeeze the hand of your neighbor. Don't squeeze too hard, but squeeze the hand of your neighbor. Because in you squeezing the hand of your neighbor, it is a sign and a wonder that you're not going to do this alone. It's a sign and a wonder that we're going to let racism fall down and we're going to walk in the gracism. It's a sign and an understanding that we will not be held up by our differences. That apathy will be no longer. That racism will be no longer. That we will have compassion for our brothers and sisters that don't look like us. So for this last moment, declare it out of your mouth as they sing it up here that something is changing in the spirit. Something's changing in the spirit. Something's changing I can feel it. Heaven, come down. Heaven, come down. Something's changing in the spirit. Something's breaking I can feel it. to be vulnerable enough to allow your spirit to transform us. Allow us to know, Lord, that you have operated in us with a call for unity and reconciliation. God, I declare right now that the hand that they hold, everyone in here, we shall live and not die to declare the mighty work of the kingdom. We shall walk in unity, we shall walk in forgiveness, and we shall walk in the kingdom culture. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. We say amen, amen, and amen. Victory Midtown, put your hands together if you're going to be a thermostat and you're walking in the kingdom. God bless you.